Hello and welcome to Walkley Talks. This is the third in a new podcast series from the Walkley Foundation, featuring some of the best journalistic talent from Australia and around the world. Today, in partnership with BBC Knowledge and Sky News Australia, we are delighted to bring you an interview with the BBC presenter, medical journalist and self-experimenter Michael Mosley. Michael is perhaps best known for his television programs on the workings of the human body. In 1995, he was named Medical Journalist of the Year by the British Medical Association. In Australia, to launch the What's Your Body Hiding season on BBC Knowledge, a special month of programs screening throughout October on food, health and well-being, Michael spoke to one of Australia's most experienced business journalists and host of the Parrot Report on Sky News Business Channel, Janine Parrot. So, Michael, tell me, given the diverse range of options you had for a career and you <laughs> tested out so many, when you were a child or when you were deciding on a career, what did you originally want to start with? I originally wanted to be a chemical engineer because I was doing sciences at A-level. I, for some reason, just loved the idea of myself with a hat on. I had no idea what it involved. And then, fortunately, I went off and spent some time in an ICI plant where I discovered what chemical engineering is really about. And I decided, no, I don't want to do that at all. And so I decided to completely switch tacks. Uh, and I was going to go and did read politics, philosophy and economics at Oxford, which was obviously about as far from chemical engineering as you can get. What was the, well, let's firstly go, what was the interest? In, so you had the interest in science even yes, as a kid. Absolutely. I had a charismatic teacher uh, when I was about eight years old, and he did wonderful things. He made us sort of grow things, lots of explosions. We had a hell of a good time. And when he was angry, he would just take the contents of your desk and chuck it out the window. And I just admired that hugely. So he stuck in my brain as somebody I just liked. And what I like about science is I like the fact that it changes its mind all the time and that you learn stuff and stuff is never permanent. I also, I was good at maths. All my kids are good at maths. It kind of hangs in there somehow or other. I was quite lazy. So I've always been bad at things like languages because languages qu require quite a lot of work, you know, to become good at them. Uh, whereas things like maths, if you get it, you get it. Okay, so you're at Oxford, Oxford. you tried mm. chemical engineering and yes. saw that wasn't as great as you thought. What went wrong with politics and economics? Uh, no, it was good fun. You know, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. Loved PPE, had the best time of my life. It was the first time I felt really intellectually stimulated in a way. Um, and I also quite enjoyed the sort of ethical debates because I brought science. Everybody else there, none of them really knew oh, science. Oh, so the science is a theme through The it. science continues as a theme throughout it. And with philosophy, what's surprising, for example, the mind-body problem. There's actually quite a lot of science in the mind-body problem, although philosophers aren't aware of it. So I was going to go off and do a DPhil uh, in the mind-body problem, but before that I decided I'll do something, I'll make some money, so I went off and became a banker. So I was actually a banker for a couple of years, uh, and uh, that was interesting. Why the career change from banking? Uh, because in the end I got a bit bored with banking. I mean, I decided that uh, it wasn't really how I wanted to spend the rest of my life. I'm quite, um, I'm turned on by ideas and things like that, much more so than I am turned on by money. So I was young, I was idealistic. I thought, I want to know how people, what makes people tick. I want to become a psychiatrist, I decided, about halfway through my banking career. I don't really want to be wealthy. I want to know how people tick. So back to school to learn psychiatry? Uh, back to school to do medicine. So I went as a mature student and did medicine. And uh, first day at medical school, Dean said, Four of the people in the room will marry, statistically, of the hundred of you. And I met my wife there. So I got something good out of doing medicine. 
And the other thing he said is that in the next five or six years, you're going to learn a tremendous amount, and within ten years, most of it will be out of date or wrong. And I found that enormously attractive. Uh, I just loved the fact that you could be permanently wrong and you had to be permanently learning. Um, so I went off and um, I did the medicine, uh, and then I became uh, disabused and disinterested in psychiatry. I was less convinced I was likely to do anything good. And in a totally random moment of extreme tiredness, um, I um, saw an advert in the newspaper for a BBC training scheme. Had you had any attraction to journalism before then, given you've tried nearly every yeah, career? Yeah, I, I used to write quite a bit. So even when I was um, doing medicine, I used to occasionally write for The Economist. Um, and I would write columns for various bits. I wrote for uh, local newspapers and for things like that. I've always liked writing. Um, but I'd it write... wasn't a burning desire to be a journalist? It, it was wasn't a burning desire. You saw an ad and it got you at the right time? It got me at the right time. I, was, I mean, I was intensely curious about the world. And um, I read a lot. I read an awful lot of newspapers. Um, to be honest, one of my most formative experiences was my older brother. My older brother loved to argue about absolutely everything. And he um, shaped my life in that way. He would, you know, he would never let anything go. So I'm off to the loo, I close the door, he's out the door <laughs> shouting about the Vietnam War. It didn't matter what the matter, we just had to argue about it and thrash it out. And so uh, that is something about journalism, isn't it? It's kind of um, the ability to see both sides of an argument and to develop an argument, even if, you know. How old were you when you joined the BBC? Uh, I was 27 years old. Oh, God, you squeezed a lot into 27 years. Yeah, I, I started very young, so I left school at 16, uh, and uh, I accelerated through most of the stuff. Presumably you found all those different careers you tried would help you with the broad knowledge at the BBC. No, absolutely, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, they took me on because they had something like 10,000 applicants for eight places, and I had zero experience, really, of any form of broadcasting at the time. <laughs> Lots of other things. Oh, I had loads of exactly. Psychiatry, but not broadcasting. Not broadcasting, but I think they quite enjoyed that. Uh, they found it sort of weirdly interesting. So after trying all those things, did you know instantly this was it? You'd finally found your calling, or uh, did it take a while? It took a while. I mean, I, was, um, I had a lot of guilt. I sort of felt... I mean, in fact, my first reaction when the BBC offered me a job was to turn it down. Uh, I, I refused them three times and they kept because? coming back because I thought I should be sticking to medicine. I'm 28, I've been <laughs> messing around doing this, that and the other. Was it 27? Anyway, around that. I think I was 28. Uh, I've been messing around my life, it's time to settle down, I really should do medicine, you know, this is really flippant. But then I just thought, oh God, no, I'll really regret it if I don't do it. So I thought I'll do it for a few years and then I'll go back to medicine. And Tell us about happened. the career tra trajectory at the BBC. Where did you start and what did you do? At so the I started what they call a TAP, a trainee assistant producer, which is kind of the fast track system. Um, so I got this thing I did, interviews, I got offered the TAP scheme and then they kind of sent us through at high speed through different areas. So I spent quite a while on Newsnight working there, breakfast and things like that. So I saw different regions of the BBC. I spent quite a while in current affairs. And then I decided where I really wanted to be was in the science department. So I joined there. I was a researcher, then I was an assistant producer, then I was a director, then I made loads of programs as a director, then I became a series producer, an executive producer, executive producer for 14 years. What made you want to go in front of the camera? We know we have, you know, in Hollywood everyone yeah. wants to be a director. I in television I notice everyone <laughs> wants to be on camera. I absolutely did not want to be in front of the camera, I have to say. That was never my intention. What happened was... Um, I did a film about a guy called Barry Marshall. It was a Horizon film. It was pretty well the first Horizon I ever made. It was about 20 years ago. 
this Australian called Barry Marshall, and he's living in Perth, he is convinced that stomach ulcers are caused not by stress, but by a previously unknown organism called Helicobacter. Glaxo are producing the best-selling drug of all time called Zantac, which is perfect drug if you're a drug company because as long as you take it, your ulcer goes away. You stop taking it, your ulcer comes back, you probably have your stomach removed. And Barry is saying, no, they are all wrong. It's caused by the bacteria and I can cure it for $3. And so what he does is he swallows it and he induces ulcers himself, he starts to vomit blood, he's absolutely delighted. Um, and the medical establishment obviously reacts by going, this is nonsense. So I was very drawn by Barry's story because the self-experimentation was so fantastic, but also the kind of maverick against the drug companies. It's got all the right ingredients, plus the science was actually really, really strong. So I made the film about Barry, uh, got fairly slagged off. He won a Nobel Prize four years later. I was able to go to the critics, Yabu sucks. <laughs> Uh, but the main thing is I got really interested in self-experimentation. So I wanted to do a series which was the history of medicine told through self-experimenters. And I pitched it at every controller of every channel for 14 years. And they all said no. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. Do you know who do you think you are? Yes. Yeah, I said to him, how long did you pitch that for? And he said, 18 years. He said, nobody's interested in genealogy is what they said. And he kept on pitching it, pitching it. And the same thing happened with me. And eventually I got hold in front of the controller of BBC4, Janice Hadler. And I pitched the idea. She says, that's interesting. Who's going to present it? I said, I have no idea. She said, why don't you do it? You seem very enthusiastic. In the interim, you were doing shows like Walking with Dinosaurs. So you were keeping that idea and keeping your connection with the science unit and the television and still learning. Absolutely. I was working full time. I did a lot of business programs as well. Um, so I did uh, a lot of stuff with Discovery. A little bit on walking dinosaurs. I was very junior, not much involved. I did things like Pompeii. I did a lot of popular science. So we did shows that got 10, 11 million on BBC One, and which I always wanted to reach a mass audience. I did a lot of history shows and I did a lot of business shows. So this was a time when a business program meant you sat behind a desk. And um, I and this other guy came up with a series called Troubleshooter with a guy called Sir John Harvey Jones. And we would go up and we'd rough over small companies, basically, the idea. He was the ex-chairman of ICI, big guy, big guy, flamboyant bow tie, and you'd go into somewhere like Morgan Cars. They want to introduce production from eight to ten cars a week. He wants them to go to a hundred cars a week. And it was really knockabout, flamboyant, kick open the door stuff. And it was very different to any business program you have ever seen. Mm. And we did that. We did a program called Trouble at the Top. Oh yes, was, yeah. my friend Richard Parley was Indeed. on that. And Back to the Floor, uh, which was basically taking uh, people, top of companies, and making them work in the bottom. And uh, which became under... Um, a lot of these programs were then ripped off by other people and copied by other people. And uh, they spawned things like Dragon's Den. And uh, suddenly business became kind of sexy. Mm. And so um, at that point, I kind of moved off into more into science and history. Well, I owe you a gratitude for that, for doing entertaining business shows. So um, that's great. When you got the, uh, the go-ahead to do yep. the show you'd been wanting for 18 years to do, what was the plan? You loved the self-experimentation. You wanted mass market. Yeah. What else was your idea that was going to be different too? Because we've seen doctors, we've seen medical yeah. people now fronting shows. What was going to be different about yours? Now you finally get something. It's like the dog that caught the car. Absolutely. It? I think it, what it had, it, it had a surprise because the surprise at the heart of it is that almost all or at least 
many of the most significant breakthroughs in medicine have been the result of people experimenting on themselves. Um, and, for example, the story of anaesthetics is really the story of people snorting all sorts of strange substances. Um, and um, so it had that at the heart of it, but also uh, I was kind of immersed in it. And that, again, is something we hadn't really seen at the time. This is now six years ago. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I'm talking about uh, nitrous oxide, laughing gas. There's a guy called Humphrey Davy, 1800. He decides to snort this stuff because he's heard it's really poisonous. Uh, and then he has a terrific time. He gets in his mates, the romantic poets, and they inhale huge amounts of it. And at one point, Humphrey Davy hurts himself, and he notices it doesn't actually hurt. So he has discovered an anaesthetic, but he ignores it. He does nothing with it, and it's another 50 years before somebody actually takes up the idea. So I thought, well, why don't I have a go at having a good old knockabout time with some anaesthetic and then really hurt myself? Um, so that's what we did, and it was hilarious and very enjoyable and, to some degree, insightful. Um, Who comes up with the ideas? Do you, um, do you just come up with something like that or swallowing a camera? How yeah. do you come up with this to make it edgy and different? Uh, mainly it's mine because I just um, read a lot and I think a lot, and, and, but also it emerges out of conversation with people. You go, you know, that's interesting. Should we have a go at that? Um, the program about the truth about exercise, for example, I wanted to do it because I had discovered that I'm a toffee thin on the outside, fat inside, my you know, blood sugar is way too high and things like that. And we set out to make a program which bore no resemblance whatsoever to the program we actually made. The same is true about Eat Fast, Live Longer, which is part of this um, season. Uh, the program we set out to make bears no resemblance. If you look at the early treatments, which is always very funny, they bear no resemblance to the program we actually ended up doing. Is that because you're fronting it and it's your idea that you can go in whatever direction you want, whereas sometimes, as you would know, in journalism with producers yeah. or an EP, they want to go, this is it, and you've got to follow their line? I have very, very flexible editors, I have to say, and the, um, the editor of Horizon kind of goes with it. You know, some people who drive them mad. When I was a researcher and when I was an AP, frequently I came back with a completely different film to the film that had been commissioned. And some people really liked that, and some of them went absolutely hysterical with me. And they'd go, why are you doing this? And I'd say, because this is actually what the film is. It's not what we set out to do, I agree, but that actually, this turned out to be the really interesting thing. Obviously, there's a bit of risk involved with what you do. Any great failures or things you've gone too far or regret? Uh, no, I mean, probably the thing I regret most was I was doing a series about the secret uh, life of the brain. And as part of that, we decided to do something on fear. And as part of that, the producer said, uh, what are you most afraid of? And I said, small, confined spaces. So she said, we'll take you caving. So we went caving, and initially in the cave, it was fine. And then I went into this crack. I really, really didn't want to do it, but I was too whatever to say no. And then we got stuck. I got stuck underground in a small crack. And Your worst nightmare. My worst bloody nightmare, and it was absolutely terrifying. And after that, I couldn't even go into an MRI machine. Next time I went into a brain scanner sort of thing, I just freaked. And it ended up having to sit on my front holding the hand of the technician because I just felt fear like I've never experienced fear before. So uh, it triggered something which was latent. And from that point of view, it's still there. I know kind of how I would treat it probably. But um, that is, it would probably have been better if I hadn't done it. 
And successes, I mean, from a, um, just a, uh, at the moment, initially you would think the 5-2 diet, yeah. the book is a huge success. As I said, it's almost a cult worldwide if you go on the web. Um, is that your personal, your biggest success in what you've done in this, in the journalism? Absolutely. I would have said so. The Truth About Exercise actually got a bigger audience when it went out. Uh, but the 5-2 thing, I call it the fast diet, whatever you call it. It's called eat fast, live longer in the season. That has had the biggest impact of anything I've ever done, and you absolutely wouldn't have predicted it. I did it because I discovered that at that point I was a diabetic, um, and my choices were to go on medication or find something different, um, and I started looking around the world. I came across this phenomenon of intermittent fasting. I spoke to the editor of Horizon. He put some really smart researchers onto it. They said there's something really interesting in this, and then we did the program, and it kind of is a bit of a journey, as you'll see. And I came up with my version of it. It's based on science, which has been done all over the world, but it's kind of my version of it, something that is sustainable. And I stuck it out there, went out, went out in August. Last year, you kind of imagine, against the Olympic Games, I thought it will finish without trace. You know? Most time in journalism, what you do is you do something, it goes out there, people say a few nice things about it. If it wins an award, you see it again. But generally, it's yesterday's news. It doesn't you move change on. the world. You do something different. <laughs> And this one, people just kept on writing to me, saying, what, 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 what? And eventually, I wrote the book six months after the television program, uh, mainly in response to kind of people just saying, tell us more. And then it became an international phenomenon. So, so where do you go from here? Because once you're doing these kind of things, especially the self-experimentation, do you go to a point where it's harder to come up with something? I mean, what happens? How do you keep developing and making them interesting? I think so much competition. I, I think. think there's just a load of interesting stuff out there. I mean, I'm going to continue uh, looking into intermittent fasting. What it's done is it's generated a huge amount of scientific interest. Um, so I found myself co-author on a paper in a diabetes journal um, looking at a review article. And so that was rather nice. Um, I, there's a Swedish professor I'm in communication with, she's about to start a big trial. There's British researchers who are looking at it from the point of view of cancer. So I've become part of a scientific debate which is going forward. And that's I was just going to say, you've come full circle. You're back more as a scientist on the medical side, aren't you, than the journalistic side. I mean, how would you describe yourself? Oh, I'm somebody who is eclectic and interested. <laughs> so, uh, I, but if you have to write profession, what do you write? I um, write, um, I think, even within the BBC, I am part executive producer and part presenter. I'm an executive presenter, and I think I'm the only one. But you still see yourself as a journalist, even though you're yes. going into the science side. You don't oh, go I, back I, to feeling no like a, a no medical person or No, a I see no discrepancy or whatever. I mean, I think basically uh, there is still the naive and enthusiastic part of me which thinks that journalism is about the search for truth. Insofar as there is never truth, but there is simply levels of truth. And what I love about you know, particularly political journalism, is that politicians slag off political journalists and say they make it up, and then 10 years later when the memoirs come out, it turns out everything the political journalists were saying were true, and everything the politicians were saying were lies, and it's now astonishing. Um, so what I admire about the best journalists is they just want to know. And when they, um, they find out stuff, they put it out there, and even if, you know, as, when the facts change, I change my mind, which is what John Maynard Keynes said, and that's kind of... Uh, a mantra. You are, of course, unique because of what we said. With the, with all your experience, your degrees, whatever, when you see younger people in journalism who perhaps don't have quite that experience, 
What would be your advice on being able to follow in your footsteps, do it? I mean, should they do medical degrees? Do you want to see more people moving into journalism with those kind? Because there's sort of two ways of thinking on that, isn't there? Mm -hmm. That you should get the experience in journalism and learn on the job, or should you come in later? I think that it entirely depends on you. There are brilliant people in the science department who have no science degrees, who have come from different directions, but they know how to make really good television. And the thing is, there are some people who are... You know, they understand the science forwards and backwards, but they have no idea how to tell a story. And I think in the end, part of our job is to tell a really cracking story, something that engages people. I mean, I say the thing about science journalism, and particularly television science, is you could learn most of this stuff in about five minutes. But what we're there to do is to inspire you and to make you think and to make you want to go out and find out more. It's not in the end, the content has to be right, it has to be surprising, but it has to be delivered in a way that actually, you know, excites your interest and goes on to entice you. And that's really the best form of journalism. Okay, I'm going to stop there just to check how our time's going on that. What are we up to? Uh, it's about 20 hours. Is that about right? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, could you poor thing? I keep thinking you're going to die of jet lag at any minute. But no, there you go. no, because you know how you know the answers. I know. <laughs> I, I, I regret. I mean, uh, oh, sorry, is there anything business. Else I business should? is fantastic, isn't it? I mean, the right business programs. I mean, the thing is, Dragon Stand was a Japanese format which got changed, and obviously, uh, I bloody hell, what's the one with um, uh, uh, the Apprentice? Oh, is that phenomenal? Oh, Celebrity Apprentice. We have the Apprentices, ma- massive numbers mm. in the UK. Uh, and again, it's kind of a business program. It's not a business program yeah. anymore. Well, both of those haven't done hugely here. Really? Celebrity Apprentice and Dragon's Den just right. didn't work. They're still monsters in the UK. Yeah, I know. You'd Even more that. so than the US. Yeah, we haven't been as big on the business. Yeah. Show. And uh, Undercover Boss, which is made by, I can't remember who, that's kind of a rip-off of an homage. In television, there is never a rip-off. There is simply an homage. Things grow, they develop. But my regret on that one was we did, uh, as I said, Back to the Floor, we did it for four seasons and then we gave up. But actually it was a brilliant format and we just never developed it. And so, I mean, one of the things I would love to do, and I've, you know, along with a zillion other things on something like knowledge, is to try and develop kind of business formats. Because if you get them right, there's a massive audience mm. out there. Uh, but I would think you've got enough science shows to keep you going. Through. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I just get a bit bored with stuff. So, but again, you know, I mean, I have a zillion ideas going forward about science shows. So mindfulness meditation is, again, really, really interesting. That's the next one coming That's the next one. I'm doing a series um, called Trust Me, I'm a Doctor, which is kind of looking at uh, evidence-based medicine because you realise that an awful lot of medicine is not based on any sort of evidence. And you also realise the doctors, the experts completely disagree with each other. There's a very funny bit I do in it, um, looking at, say, aspirin. Two world-leading experts who radically disagree about the benefits of aspirin, or HRT. You realise that most of the studies which demonised HRT were fundamentally and terribly flawed. Yeah, absolutely, but there's still HRT experts who will tell you it's, you know, it's going to kill you and knock you off, and others who will say it's the best thing ever. And within the medical fraternity, there is huge disagreement about almost everything you can imagine. And so that's that debate you talk about. The yeah, absolutely, and that's so delightful. And as I said, it's like arguing with my, younger, my older brother. It's that feeling, which I still enjoy, uh, where sometimes you just take the other point of view just for the hell of it. Well, there are your new ones coming up, and you can see the ones we've talked about on the BBC Knowledge Show. Absolutely. So during October, a whole season with other... And there shows. are some brilliant 
programs, and it was a wonderful one called The Men Who Made Us Fat, uh, which is all about the kind of the politics and the economics. And you realise just how insidious it all is and where the whole supersizing came from. It's, it's a really interesting mixture of films. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe to Walkley Talks on iTunes and follow the Walkleys on Twitter and Facebook for new episode updates. You'll be the first to know about upcoming Walkley news and events.